Okay, so a few of you are laughing. That guy, this is an experiment, was paid to go into a kind of like one of those subway cars or some whatever tram or whatever that was, and he was paid to enter and just to start laughing. That's what he was doing, just to begin to start laughing. And as you watch that, ripples of laughter started to occur within the whole car. And eventually, people who were kind of looking heavy from maybe the day of work or sad or, or just contemplating deeply began to smile and then began to laugh because laughter is contagious. Smiling is contagious. You know that when you smile, it actually does something to your body. It, it, it causes your, your neurons to fire and, and to create positive emotions and, and it actually releases, um, cells within your body to bring healing to your body. It has this infectious kind of quality to it. Joy is just that, which is probably one of the reasons why God calls us to live in joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And, and you get this perspective of when you, when you have this change of perspective, it influences people. It makes a difference. It somehow begins to ripple through others around you and it actually changes the atmosphere. You know, the life as Jesus called us to live it is contagious. And one of the things as we start moving into this new um, few chapters, because we're in Acts. Now, Acts, there's a huge hinge point at chapter 8, verse 1. And 1 is this kind of um, verse that ties one, uh, the first part to the second part. <clears throat> and what you'll find is, is this idea of, of this change in the midst of incredibly difficult circumstances. So I just want to ask you, how do you handle the difficulties, the trials, maybe even feelings of persecution in your own life. Because they're critically important how we respond to them because we respond to them does cause ripples. It can cause ripples in a negative direction. It can cause ripples in a positive direction. And as you look at the early church, they're a prime example of this. If you look at chapter 8 as we begin this new study, you'll find that they begin to ripple out. And not necessarily everyone because they, they actually center in on a few people who has prime examples for us as models. But they move from a kind of mass conversion that's happening, 3,000 and a number, and now for a couple chapters they begin to isolate just a few examples. They go from Stephen to Philip to, to, um, to what Peter's doing, Cornelius to Saul. And, and, and you see this picture of God at work in individuals like yourself who choose to say, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to look at this from the eyes of God, and I'm also going to allow God to use this in my life, in the life of others. That's, that's really what's going on as you look at these people. They're seeing from God's perspective, and then they begin to use their situation for God's purposes. We're not going to do three points with a nice little alliteration and a poem today, Okay. We're going to look at two points primarily and look at some truths under the first one and some observations under the second one. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to ask you to consider responding to an invitation. And it'll be an invitation in a couple of different areas that maybe God is speaking to you particularly in. So if that makes you a little nervous, that's good. Um, what I want to share with you is we look at verse uh, these two chapters. You find in here the word of God and faith in Jesus goes viral, okay? 
It, 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 it's the best way to look at it. You, you, as you look at what's happening, and in every um, way you might account for it, you would go, this is so negative. How in the world could this cause the word of God and faith in Jesus to spread so quickly? Instead of quenching the movement of God, which I believe Saul and, and those others and even Satan himself wanted to see happen, it just, in fact, was like a dandelion. It just blew the seeds of God's presence all over the world. And the key verse, if you want to look at the key, the, the hinge verse is in verse 4 of chapter 8. Followers of Jesus are, are forced out of Jerusalem, even more infectious, if you want to look at it, than covid they spread the gospel everywhere they go. It says this, a great wave of persecution began. And here's the words, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They had this ability to see things from God's perspective. They had this ability to use their situation for God's purposes. And so as we look at these next few chapters, we're, we're, we're in this series in this book called Acts, but we're now moving from um, this idea of unbroken, where the church, many times there's attacks to try and break the church in those first eight chapters. Now you move to a place, what I call unlimited. It's like you're looking at the ocean, or you look up at the sky and all the stars, and you go, this is unbelievable. In fact, the dictionary duel of uh, Merriam and Webster defined the word unlimited as boundless, infinite and in a sense, unimaginable with regard to possibilities. Think about it. A time of trials and difficulties led to the greatest era of expansion and impact in the church. Persecution broke out against the early church. It was centered at that time in Jerusalem, and it blew people throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So as I pray in just a moment, I want you to consider this question. Have you contemplated the unlimited potential of your current situation? Or maybe one you will face in a few weeks. Or maybe one you've been facing for quite some time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask that you would allow for our hearts to be soft and open and that your, your word both spoken and your spirit so pervasive even through things like the internet can reach into the hearts of people. So do that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look at Acts 8, and we're going to look at these 25 verses, and, and we won't get into, I mean, when you go through the Bible, one of the difficulties I have is how much editing I have to do and what I can and can't say. It's in, in people who read my messages, because I give them to people to read, um, often see I'm cutting and editing, and I'm just not a great editor. But anyway, here's these verses. Hopefully, as you hear these, if you have questions, I'm really open to answering some of those questions, even after the service, I'd be available if you want to do that. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began, and you got to know, that day, it was like that. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And you got to note that, except the apostles. We will hopefully just comment on that. And then in parentheses, some devout men came and buried Stephen with, with great mourning. 
Remember I said last week, you look at the life of Stephen, and if you look at it, the perils of his speech and his death were so much like Jesus himself. You will find the same thing. If you read through the book of Acts, you won't find it so much if you read through it like chapter after, you know, over a long period. But if you read through the last book of Acts, and if you have some understanding of Jesus, you'll see even Saul, who becomes Paul, is paralleled like Christ. He's he's resolutely setting his heart to go back to Jerusalem at one point, and, and people are saying, don't do it. But he is so convinced he needs to bring the gospel to the whole world like Jesus. Anyway, that's a whole other message. I didn't mean to get into that. Um, but Saul was going everywhere. This is, this is Saul. Remember I said he got it? The light bulb went off when he was listening to Stephen? If this thing of carrying the presence takes hold... There will be no need for the presence being in a building. Since Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And you just underline Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not about trying to tell them some kind of doctrinal peculiarity that you believe in. It's all about a relationship with a living God, an encounter with a God who can change your life, Jesus Christ. And so it says that's what they're doing. Philip, for example, went, so let's look at one of the models. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people there are about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. This city is... One one guy came in and started to laugh. This God of mine is greater than any illness, sickness, or anything around here. And the whole atmosphere changed. There's in the New International Version, this verse 6 says this, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And I, I like the way the NIV puts that and takes the Greek, because it says that they were listening to Philip, they saw what Philip did, they saw his life, they saw the miracles, they saw that, and as a result of that, they just kind of, that got their attention. Jesus did the same thing when he preached, and, and then they saw the miracles, it got their attention. And I thought to myself, because we've been saying, like I said last week, who knows, we may be in another great reformation, and we may see God do some things, and are we willing to go where God's going to call us to go? And then secondly, are, are we going to be um, enough constrained to not call something, call it unholy that's holy? What if God raised up among us a Philip? who actually did miracles. Not he, but God through him. What might be our response? A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. And he was amazing to the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. And everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. Simon Magus. And they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. I, I just was thinking as I was 
reading through it and preparing it, I thought, our, our world around us has been astounded for a long time for, you know, as we look at the magic of, of, of political influence or we look at the, the magic of science and, and the ability to bring healing through a scientific method, which is all wonderful. And we, we look at all the different things out and around us. It could be the materialistic drive and the wealth and all the power. And we've been kind of astounded by that. And all of a sudden God comes on and goes, I got something greater, far better. But now the people believe Philip's message of the good news. And, and again, you might want to underline this concerning the kingdom of God. If you read through the Gospels, the kingdom of God, Jesus is always talking about this new realm, this new way of life that goes upstream from what we see in our culture. In the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you read Acts and go to the very last chapter, it says Paul was living in the city of Rome and he was doing these two things, talking about the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized, which was just a public confession that they believed that Jesus forgave their sins and wanted to follow him and identify with the the community of believers. And then Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, because this is a strange thing, it was meant for the Jews, wasn't it? Not for Samaritans of all people and then Gentiles. But Jesus had been kind of priming the pump for quite some time because he talks about the, the good Samaritan. At one point he heals ten and only one comes back a Samaritan. So he's been kind of priming the pump, helping them get ready for the fact that things are going to dramatically change from what they really knew. And so they sent Peter and John there because Peter and John were the officials of this movement. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They knew about forgiveness of sins. They didn't know about the power of the Holy Spirit. That might be true for a lot of people in our, own, in our church or in churches. We know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know a lot about what does it mean to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how, does, how does that work in our life? And I don't talk about second baptism. Not, not, that stuff, it's about, is, is there a feeling? Do you walk in the feeling of the Spirit of God? And the Holy Spirit had not yet come. So on any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now let me just just quickly again, laying hands on. So I'm trying to give you stuff that I'd like to talk more about, but we don't have time to. But laying on of hands is a pretty common expression, both in the Old Testament and comes in the New Testament. It's usually the laying on of hands in order to um, do healing or to bring blessing or to officially kind of um, say, we recognize this person for a commission of ministry. For instance, when um, both Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 13, 3 are being sent to go on these missionary journeys, they lay hands on them. This idea of laying hands is where we get the word ordination. And it just means, it means to set apart, it means to say, this person has been called by God for this. And then he says, Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you, in response to him, for thinking God's gift can be bought. 
we kind of go, oh yeah, it's, it's paying the money. Anytime you get into a work situation with God, you're down the wrong course. Somehow, if you can pay for it, or you can earn it by your good behavior, or whatever it may be, it is what? It's no longer a gift. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. He goes back down into the thoughts, the desires And then he speaks kind of prophetically here, for I can see that you are full of a bitter jealousy and one held captive to sin. It's almost this idea that I see the wounds that have been in your life. And and if you're willing to come to God, not just to ask for forgiveness for your sins, but to allow him even to bring healing to those wounds, it will set your life on a whole new course. I mean, some people will carry wounds, and, and it doesn't mean you're not a believer, but it just means those wounds keep you from experiencing the fullness of God. It could be you grew up in a home where you had scarcity and there was poverty, and, and in your heart you just felt the sense of, of fear around that, and so you kind of made a commitment to yourself, I will never be poor, and it's been this self-drive in you to, to get wealth and to make sure that you have enough money in your account, because if you don't, it's not about abundance of God, it's about your own abundance. Or it could be you have a wound that at a certain point in your heart, you've been injured, and it may have been a betrayal. And so in that betrayal, you've come to a place where you go, you know what? Never again am I going to get close enough to people where my heart is vulnerable that I'm going to let them wound me. And you become the keeper of your heart rather than God. Now, that's what he sees here. He's basically saying, I see that, and it's being played out. And if you don't turn from it, it will destroy you. So pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. And after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. They stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. That's another what we call hinge verse, and we'll kind of use that hinge verse to get into the stuff for next week. So, Let's get into the message um, with the moments we have. Seeing your situation from God's perspective, we, we recall, it means you need to, to live according to two truths. What I want to say to us as a church and what is you as an individual, if you allow your perspective and you don't allow God's perspective into it, especially around what's happening around you and his ability to do the things that need to be done around you, as well as his perspective of who you are, your identity, that you are a son or a daughter of the king, you're not going to live in the truth because it's the truth that sets you free and that will set you free indeed. I was talking this last uh, Wednesday. I did a podcast with the president of the Free Church, Kevin Complin. We had a good talk. I talked a little bit about the Great Reformation that I had talked about last week. And he goes, oh, I hadn't thought of some of those things. But that's really true. But he says, what I've been talking to churches all around the country, free churches about, is the fact that you should probably prepare in the next 20 years that we won't probably get tax-free credits as a church. We, won't, we may not be tax-free, and we just need to realize that. And I thought, boy, we can take a posture as a church like we're victims and not see it from God's perspective and go, God, oh, this is just horrible. Oh, by the way, I'm doing that podcast for a membership class for tomorrow night, and if you would like to sign up, please do so. <laughs> I meant to say that, and I forgot, but now you got it. Anyway, so here, here's what I want to just get across to you. How are we going to respond to it? Could it be that 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 moment where we see things changing in our culture might be the very thing that God wants to have happen to set free something that has been just bound up in our own comfort and our own 
American gospel and all this other stuff. Their God is just saying, no, that, I want the kingdom of God for you. Not the kingdom of your desires and comforts and, and whatever it might be. How do you see what you're going through right now? How might God want to use your situation right now? There's, there's, there's four truths, and I'll, I'll go through these, because if you don't know the truth and you live in a lie, you're, it, it's going to be difficult. Here's what will set you free. The first is this, what's going on in your life, God is not phased by anything. Truth number one, God is not phased by anything that's occurring in your life right now, nor if it happens in the future. That last part of verse one says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And you gotta ask yourself, was this persecution good or bad? Well, it probably wasn't great for those who were under it. But it ends up being really good for God, because God is incredibly skillful at taking something that's bad and making it good. If people are willing to see it from that perspective and say, oh, you know what? This isn't too big for God. God can handle this. I was kind of thinking about this. What if God and Jesus, if the Father and Jesus are watching your life like it's a reality series TV show, right? And you're watching your life and they're, they're having fun and you're looking and you're doing stupid stuff, you know? And all of a sudden at one point something happens. They go, oh, I can't believe that happened. Oh man, and there's completely phased by that. Just what are we going to do, Jesus? It just doesn't happen that way. That's not at all in the psyche of our Father in Heaven. The persecution that broke out in Jerusalem against God's people, His church, didn't phase God in the least. In fact, just the opposite. God took what was meant for evil and said, I've got something that needs to happen here. In fact, you guys have been enjoying yourself so much in Jerusalem. They had built this mega church wasn't this great? We live in Jerusalem. And then, and then all of a sudden now the persecution comes and it takes them out of Jerusalem and spreads them to where? Specifically, if you look at Acts 8.1, 1.8, the very first chapter, 1.8, it's interesting how it's 1.8 and then 8.1. Just those are the two verses. 1.8 says that he wanted them to go to what? To Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What happens in 8.1, just the opposite. Now they get kicked out of Jerusalem. They're forced out of Jerusalem. And I don't think God is going, oh, shoot, this really bums me out. The mega church that I built is being destroyed. It's now going into little micro churches. They're being scattered. I think he's going, this is okay. That's what I kind of intended all along. In fact, maybe I needed a little bit of heat to loosen you up to start moving. I don't think God was bummed because the Jerusalem church's growth trend started to plummet. The unpredictable Jesus was predictably about using everything in the church's life and in your life to bring about good. And he, he, that's, that's the truth. The, next, the second truth is this, and I love this because it falls right on this one. God's primary objective is others. If you look at Jesus, that's what his objective was from the beginning. If you look at Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43, Jesus has been working all day, and he's tired, and he comes home, and he heals the mother-in-law of Peter, and he's now people come to his door. It says all of Capernaum is at his door. And 
and then the next morning he gets up early in the morning before the sun even rises because he wants to stay in tune with what the Father wants him to do. And it says this, when they all come to him and say, let's build a center for you. We can do miracles. This is the place. This is the capital. Let's, you know, let's do it. And Jesus says this and just throws him for a loop because his purpose is always for others. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that's why I was sent. God's primary objective in your life, even in the midst of what you're going through, is he's going to use that and use you for others if you're willing to see it the way he's working. It's always to extend his loving rule into the lives of others. And if you note who the persecution falls on, so I'll just make a quick comment on this, it falls on the Hellenists. Stephen was a, it was Stephen and Philip and a, a group of seven who were called to take care of the Hellenist widows because they were being, you know, there's a first little set of kind of a, of injustice and, and potential racial um, stuff going on. And so he says, I want you guys to care for your own and you'll distribute it for both because I know that you'll understand how it needs to be, etc. And so you get a guy, Stephen, he's speaking out. Now a guy, Philip, these are guys that were really supposed to be um, kind of clearing the tables and setting tables and stuff. But now they're not. They're out there doing the kingdom work. And so Philip, he's out there and he's he's sharing this. He's in Hellenist. And what happens is, it says, except for the apostles. Now, it could be the apostles were just really courageous and they were standing there saying, we'll take any kind of heat you give us. I don't think so. They ran like crazy when the cross occurred, right? Now, they could have, with the Spirit of God in them, but I think what's going on here, there's a guy like Saul and those around him say, you know what? These Hellenists are the problem. They don't live with the temple. They've come in and a lot of them are staying here and staying around here. Let's get them back to where they're supposed to be. Get them living back in those Greek areas and those Gentile areas and, and take those Hellenists who have converted to Christ, the Hellenist Jews, and then also the other Gentiles who've converted and let's get them out of the city. Because if we can get them out of the city, guess what? This whole thing will die down. Just like if you kill Jesus, it sh- you know, shoot the messenger and message will stop. And, and it goes just the opposite. Get rid of these cultural compromisers and we'll get, and everything will go back the way it should be. It all goes on a rampage, Acts 8, 2 and 3. goes from, um, from one home to the next home because they, they didn't meet in, in that time, even in synagogues, because by that point they were probably kicked out of the synagogues according to what you read in Matthew and other places. They're meeting in homes or they're meeting in the temple area. The third truth is this, God will use you wherever you go. If you're willing to pray and look and ask for God, begin to live in the truth of the fact he's not phased by this. Begin to live in the truth of the fact that what you are meant for is he will give you the things you need to live your life, but part of what you are meant for is to be sent into the lives of others to, to love them. Acts 8, 4. They were scattered and preached the good news about a person, Jesus, everywhere they went. If God's in control of your current situation, how does God want you to see it? And in a moment, I'm going to talk about how he wants you to use it. And the last is God's in this. He's with you. You're not a victim. You're not a victim to some other people who are opposing you. You are truly um, in, in Christ. You, you have victory. You are an overcomer. 
God uses these Hellenists in a very interesting way. He takes these these ones who have um, Greek culture to them and who have been in Jerusalem, and he sends them back to the very cities from which they came, where they begin to share with their relatives and friends about Jesus. And what's really interesting about the way that God works us is they begin to kind of like, they're, they're like the water softening the soil, getting the soil ready so that when this guy Saul becomes Paul, he goes back to those very same areas. And he begins to tell the people about Jesus. And I think they're scratching their head and go, wow, this God is incredibly powerful because it was the Saul guy who was putting people in prison. But now he's coming out here and he's setting us free from our prisons because of the gospel. That's amazing. That's cool. You know, if God is with you, you are in no place or situation ever a victim. When you believe that God is in this, he's with you, you actually can move out of victim language and looking at circumstances. You don't have to see them from uh, uh, that kind of place down under. You catch yourself, if you're like me, I mean, I know when I go through a difficult situation, it's really easy to catch a kind of a whiny voice. Anybody ever have a whiny voice? I, I love my wife, but I can't stand her at times. She'll go, if you're whining, I won't be talking to you. <laughs> Stuff like that. And I just go. <laughs> or, or, or you move into this place where you, your whole life. Where goes my water? Your whole life is about blame. Well, you know, you're in a situation, man, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't done it. If, I can't believe it, the job. That boss, I just, what? You now, there's responsibility. But when you move to this place of blame, you move to this place where you're just kind of like this victim. And God's going, oh. He's watching the reality show of your life going, oh. If you could just see what I'm doing right now. I would, my, I would love it if you start seeing what I'm doing and believing what I'm doing. And, 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 and grip hold of the truth. Of who I am and who you are. And, and, and guess what? As you start to laugh at the enemy, the opposition, and don't do it to your boss, okay? But you start laughing at the enemy, the opposition. You begin to allow for this ripple of life to flow out of you. You have to believe that was in, impacting Saul. Every time he took one of those people out of that house and they saw them respond because they were looking at God and that they were his son or daughter and they knew they would be just fine. Even if their life ended, they knew they would be just fine. They knew where they were going. God will fulfill his plan for this world we live in. I want you to hear that. We don't have to get caught up in conspiracy theories. We don't have to get caught up in all these things that, would, that could cause us to be afraid. Or, oh, you know what? It's all going to get really bad. If it gets really bad, God's still with you. What kind of message does that send to people? I really want to believe her. I want to be like you. God will fulfill his plan for this world we live in and God will fulfill his plan for your life. Do you see your situation in God's perspective? You are never a victim when you take God's perspective in all things. He is a skillful 
person can take your situation and turn it around for good. Now, it may not be comfortable. It may be painful. I don't think it was wonderful when people were running under persecution. And yet they faced it with joy. And the second thing I want to just talk about with the moments we have is is some observations around this idea. How can you use your situation for God's purposes? Because if you start to see it and you start to move into the truth of it, and that's really going to be important. I'll, I'll say this a little bit later, but your identity determines your impact. Your identity is everything. If you understand who God is, that he's your father, and man, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you really believe that that you have a father in heaven who hears you and he's holy and great more than you can imagine, and you are his son, he's going to give you what you need to eat, he's going to forgive you for the things that you do. He's going to um, not allow you to go into places that will overcome you. You have a God who is with you. You can live in the truth of that. You can begin to say, God, here I am today. As bad as it looks, you can use me. If you look at these verses 5 through 25, I'm just going to share with you some quick observations. Sometimes God puts you in places you don't plan on. And you have to, I just want you to ask this question, will you let God use you there? Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, it says Philip went to a city. It doesn't even name it, because they don't want to name it. The big point, important thing is the word Samaria here, and they proclaim Christ there. You know, Jesus um, would walk through Samaria, but Jews wouldn't walk through Samaria, because you just didn't want to go to that place. In fact, the Jews had a saying, to eat with a Samaritan was said to be eat, like eating pork. I mean, this is bad. And what's so ironic about this is, you think about it, it's the Samaritans who have the greatest responses. It's those who are, are not you know, in the in crowd that seem to have the greatest responses. When Jesus goes through and he meets a woman at the well, it says a whole town, everybody, they're all prepared. There are places you're at, you don't even realize. You may, it depends how you look at it. They could be so prepared by God for you. You may think that the place you are in is filled with godless people, and it may be. But there's a good chance if you begin to laugh, if you begin to smile, you begin to have some joy, you begin to move into the place God has you in seeing it as he does and say, God, use me here, there's a really good possibility that you're not called just to endure that place, but you're called to bring an impact. God has made you powerful. You have his Holy Spirit. I want you to take this in. You are equipped with his presence. You carry his presence. You have been given the mind of Christ. It's available to you. You carry the unlimited, boundless, infinite, unimaginable potential of God within your being. Satan would rather have you take your situation and complain and whine and feel helpless and hopeless And God wants you to make an impact. Your identity determines your impact. In Christ, you are a victor. You are placed right where you are because God desires to use you to make a difference right where you are, right in your home, in your neighborhood, where you work. And hear this again. You are not powerless. You are a powerful person filled with God's spirit, aware of the Father's love, truly believing you are God's son or daughter, impacting others through God's divine energy working through you. Catch this. Your kindness, your dependability, your peace, your joy, 
your willingness to be real and vulnerable, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, changes the spiritual climate wherever you go. Quickly, two other observations. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to close in just a moment. Sometimes God puts you with people you don't want in your life. And will you let God use you in their lives? And, and if you look at this, the first is the Samaritans. And the, the thing with the Samaritans is you're just to love them. And then you see a guy, Simon, come up. And you go, this guy's following me everywhere. And what has happened with Simon? You challenge that person. Hey, it's okay to challenge a person. And then in a moment, and we're going to look at the Ethiopian this next week. And, and all you're called to do there is be aware of that person. And then the third observation is that always God calls us to freely respond to his invitation to know and grow in him. What I want you to know is that your choice is incredibly, critically important. Simon thought he could buy the blessing. Simon thought he could bargain to get the gift of God's spirit. But the gift of God's spirit is just that. It's a gift given to people who are open and hungry. And, and with their will, you have a will. You say, I choose you, Jesus, and I choose and ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me. That from me ripples everywhere your spirit. If you read verses 20 through 24, Peter's response to Simon, catches is not a curse, but it's a call for him to respond. And Simon's response reveals what is in his heart. Because as, as, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Listen to people long enough and you'll hear what's in their heart. Peter warns Simon that judgment could happen and places responsibility in Simon to respond actively. His fate seems bound up ultimately in his response. Our choices determine our course. And I just want to say to you, as we kind of just take this moment to, to just open our hearts, and I'll come back with just a, a, an invitation. So if you're on live stream, just hang on for this song, would you? Because I really want to come back and, 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 and invite you to, into a step more fully into God's presence. But if you go through again and again, the Bible narrative places responsibility upon us to choose. God honors our free will. He's sovereign, but he also is such a gentleman, he honors your heart. You may have, if I've been speaking about this, you may say, you know, I have a wound that's been holding me back, and God, I have never dealt with it. I need to deal with it. We have a ministry called Gateway Prayer Ministry who would love to talk to you. We have counselors who are free. You may have a wound that God has been unveiling in your heart, and you go, you know what, this has hold me back. You may have a spouse who's jabbing your side saying that. <laughs> and you may have received the forgiveness of Jesus, but you never really said, Jesus, here, I want you to have all of me. I want so much your spirit to fill me. And I don't want just forgiveness. I want fullness.